With thousands of families experiencing infertility and with the rise of medical technology, IVF or in vitro fertilization has become a mainstay in our current culture. The unfortunate and sad reality, however, is that thousands upon thousands of young human embryos have been created but not implanted. They remain suspended in time, forgotten and frozen. Now, pro-abortion activists have leveraged this as though this is this uh, indicates some sort of inconsistency in the pro-life worldview, and this is something that we hear on the streets from time to time. And so in today's episode, we are going to be sharing how we respond to this claim from pro-abortion activists. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys podcast. My name is Peter. I'm the host of the show. And with me again is my good friend and wonderful co-host, Cameron Cote. Hello, sir. Hello. I, I am very, very um, excited about dipping our toes into this topic of in vitro fertilization and how we respond to the pro-abortion arguments around whether or not it's an inconsistency in the pro-life worldview regarding how much time and energy is dedicated towards embryo adoption. To be clear, this is not a full episode on the ethics of in vitro fertilization. We do got one of those coming down the tube. We're going to be reviewing Stephanie Gray Connor's new book, Conceived by Science, talking a little bit about in vitro fertilization, other fertility um, reproductive technologies and whatnot. But Peter, both you and I have had experiences of late with this issue of in vitro fertilization with um, frozen embryos. And, and I, I talked to a couple last week while doing door knocking um, with a C-SPARE volunteer team here in Calgary about well, with a woman who had four embryos frozen in time. Um, and she and her husband were trying to figure out what was going to happen. They weren't anticipating the first embryo to implant. And now, well, we, we didn't really want five kids. What are we going to do? You've had a similar story. This has come up in, in your studies, right? Um, in vitro fertilization. Yeah, that's right. We're I'm in a, a class right now at Redeemer University called Gospel Church and Culture. And one of the readings, um, so a bunch of the readings that we I've done recently are on reproductive technologies. But one of them was interesting. It was about a Christian couple who decided to uh, pursue IVF. They created uh, in the lab, uh, in a Petri dish, uh, five offspring of theirs, five embryos, um, one of them uh, implanted and uh, and they gave birth to their daughter, Carolyn. Two of them died after implantation and now they have two left. And uh, they say they're Christians and they say the one thing that keeps them up at night is they're both, they're getting older and they don't want to have more kids at this age, but they have two embryos, um, two young children um, that are, like I mentioned off the top, suspended in time, they're frozen. And um, yeah, really not receiving the dignity uh, that they that they certainly deserve. And so this is something that comes up. I mean, I'm at a Christian university. It comes up. There are people in my class who have very uh, opposing worldviews to mine, especially when it comes to to types of issues like abortion and, and uh, uh, reproductive reproductive issues and rights and technologies. Um, but it's also something, Cam, like you said, we hear on the streets as well. And so what we want to get into uh, in just a moment, because you want to share something first, I know. Um, but what we want to get into is the argument that consistent pro-lifers would focus on frozen embryos as much, if not more, than abortion itself if they actually cared about pre-born children. So that's the argument. We'll dive into that in just a moment. Cam, we um, we have a way for people to uh, receive free items from a merch shop. Is that right? 
Absolutely right. Um, as, as was mentioned on a previous show, if this is your first time or if you didn't catch our previous show, we are doing a little kind of reward system right now where if you are able to get our podcast poster and a short write-up shared with your church, whether that's within your bulletin, within a newsletter, within a, on a notice board or something like that, if you can get people in your church, in your community, um, wherever it may be, familiar and aware of the Pro-Life Guys podcast. We are um, in 2022 really trying to grow our outreach back-to-back months now. We've had um, record months for number of followers, number of downloads, number of subscribers, all that kind of thing. Uh, We want to keep growing. We want to be reaching as many people as we possibly can. And you can help us do that by going to our website, ProLifeGuys.com. On the website, you can find a downloadable poster as well as a short write-up that you can include in bulletin, notice board, whatever it may be, like I said, and you take a picture of those. You take a picture of the poster pinned up on a bulletin board and the um, the notice in a bulletin, send it to us, and we'll send you something from our merch shop, whether it's a, a t-shirt like the one that Peter's wearing, whether it's a water bottle, whether it's a mug, um, whether it's one of the books that we have at CCBR. Um, we want to reward you for helping us grow the show. And so go to ProLifeGuys.com to find that stuff. And if you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out on one of our social media platforms or at email at ProLifeGuys.com, I believe. That's right. Even easier, Cam, is they can go right down to the link, uh, right down to the Mm -hmm. show notes. And I will put a link there directly to the page that you're looking for, um, which is your uh, step one into getting a free merch item from our shop. All right, Cam. Um, so consistent pro-lifers. You're a pro-lifer. You've been in the movement. You're active. I'm, I'm, I'm a pro-lifer. I'm in the movement. And if we were consistent, sir, uh, we would focus on frozen embryos, perhaps even more, because there are far more frozen embryos right now than abortions taking place. Perhaps I actually just thought of that on the spot. But um, there certainly are a lot of frozen embryos. And so we would focus on them more or the same as abortion if we actually cared about pre-born children. Now, we don't. Um, I think that's pretty straightforward that uh, in the pro-life movement, we do focus on abortion far more than we do on embryo uh, adoption and frozen embryos. And so the argument is, okay, guys, you know, it's cute that you're doing what you're doing, but you're being particularly inconsistent. Now, I feel like this is pretty self-explanatory here, but maybe, um, I don't know, maybe there's some nuance there that you want to share. What are they getting at? What are some of the underlying uh, sort of assumptions here within this argument yeah what i what i feel like they're getting at is is actually a very legitimate not accusation but but very legitimate position that if pro-lifers are going to hold that all humans are inherently valuable and that they deserve basic human rights then we should at the very least be prioritizing adoption of all of them. If it's not just a matter of we should be prioritizing the adoption of born children we should be prioritizing the adoption of pre-born children and I think that's a very legitimate um, challenge to be brought against pro-lifers. I think as we're going to get into that, this is not, um, even if pro-lifers were hypocritical in this stance, it wouldn't undermine the the actual principles that we're holding. It might undermine our character, it might undermine um, how well our message is received because it's more than just the words, it's our actions as well. But I think that that's what they're really getting at. They're trying to paint pro-lifers in a negative light and often redirect their attention away from public engagement. Because 
when I start thinking about, okay, so that's what they're getting at. What are a few issues at hand? The first thing that comes to my mind, Peter, and I'm, I'm interested in what comes to your mind as well. First thing that comes to my mind is that many people who make this accusation are really unfamiliar with how the pro-life movement functions. That as many of you may know, but it may be new to you as well, we often think about the pro-life movement as having three distinct arms. The pastoral arm of the pro-life movement, which is the pregnancy care centers, the adoption agencies, and the post-abortive care centers that are working with families to help them navigate challenging pregnancies, to help them um, facilitate adoption, foster care, and to help people who have chosen abortion before. You've got the political arm of the pro-life movement, the second arm, which is working to nominate, elect, and lobby politicians to get pro-life legislation. And then you've got arguably the most visible arm of the pro-life movement, though certainly not the largest arm of the pro-life movement, which is us, the educational arm of the pro-life movement. And so people will encounter us, whether at one of our outreach displays on a street corner, whether while we're door knocking, maybe even for groups that are doing 40 Days for Life and whatnot that are doing still that kind of public-y outreach, which is the very tip of the iceberg of pro-life outreach. They don't see any of that iceberg below the waterline. And they say, this is all that you're doing. And there's so many more important things to be doing. And I think that that's a very, very ignorant understanding of it. But I, I give them a lot of slack because they don't see what's going on in the background. They don't see the pro-lifers who are adopting these children. They don't see the, the pro-lifers who are helping... Um, foster parents or helping those in, in hard situations. And so I, I can sympathize with people who may accuse us of only doing educational outreach, because if that's their only point of contact with the pro-life movement, then yeah, it, it might be very tempting to say that we're being hypocritical and not doing this. And so that, that's one thing that comes to my mind, Peter. What comes to your mind when you think of the a few thoughts and, and considerations that need to go into this background? Yeah. Um, so first thing, I, I think that's, I think that's fantastic. I completely agree with you. One of the things on the educational part is, um, you know, we can look in society and see a hundred different injustices and list them off in the next five minutes, very, very clearly. Now, I think it's uh, fair to say that not one person can focus equally and with uh, effective precision on each one of those issues. And, um, and I think that's the same within the pro-life movement as well. So you talk about the three arms of the pro-life movement. We as pro-lifers and as Christians, uh, more primarily than pro-lifers, recognize more injustices than just abortion, but we choose to, to highlight a specific injust in, injustice. And so the first thing I think of, Cam, is that, um, you know what, like, I, I agree that these embryos are human beings, and I agree that they are worthy of dignity and respect, but... Um, that's currently not the thing that I'm fighting at this point. The second point is just because I'm not fighting embryo adoption doesn't mean in any way that abortion is in some way justified because usually the argument, Cam, is um, to, to undermine the pro-life position when we're on the streets having these conversations. The goal there is to undermine us as pro-lifers, which will in some way in their minds justify the act of abortion. Either we don't talk about abortion then or it justifies it. And for me, let's say I am completely inconsistent in my worldview, on so many different things, that does not actually mean that abortion is justified. It just means I'm inconsistent on embryo adoption and frozen embryos and in vitro fertilization says nothing, absolutely nothing on whether abortion is morally right 
or morally wrong. So that's some of the first things that come to mind when uh, when I think about an argument like that. And uh, I know there are different ways that we can weave that into the conversation. We'll get to that when we talk about the apologetics. I wonder, Cam, um, for those listening, um, you have a, a biology background. Could you briefly outline precisely what IVF is and how we get thousands and thousands of, of frozen em embryos? It's a great question. And I know that this is a new topic for a lot of people. And, and this is something that is not surprising because it happens behind closed doors. And it's often a very personal and private decision made by families and whatnot. What ends up happening? So there, there's a lot of different reasons why infertility can be a struggle for couples. I won't necessarily dive into that. In vitro fertilization is the process at a very um, kind of summary level of harvesting is, is a pretty callous term, but harvesting eggs from female ovaries and sperm from male testes and for, uh, facilitating fertilization within a sterile laboratory environment. And so there's no sexual intercourse involved. This is a surgical harvesting, generally speaking, of at least the eggs, if, if not the sperm, um, and a, yeah, medical brought about fertilization. Sometimes they'll, they'll try to do um, genetic testing and, um, and whatnot to, to discern the quote unquote health of that child and whatnot. But basically they're fertilizing these zygotes within a, a Petri dish, a, a little plastic plate in a laboratory. And they're waiting to see how many successful um, zygotes are created through this process. And so they might start with one or two or five or however many um, egg, egg cells, and then basically wash them in sperm and see how many of those eggs become fertilized. And therein lies a lot of the problem, or there's a lot of problems that go along with in vitro fertilization, but basically you're going to have some degree of success rate on how many of those eggs become zygotes, how many of them are fertilized and become new little human beings. But from there, that's where we get into an even greater dilemma. Beyond the dilemma around the um, objectification of children, all that kind of stuff, we get into the dilemma of what happens, like both you and I mentioned in our, our experiences uh, with other folks, what happens when there are multiple zygotes created, multiple embryos, embryos obviously being the same human being, but a little bit older. Um, I know that I'm rambling here, but how the, the reason why they may create more than one zygote is because the likelihood of implantation when they, so they fertilize a zygote in, in a um, Petri dish, and then they try to implant it within that mother's or that woman's um, uterus. And many of those children, as you mentioned, are not successful in implantation. Tragically, they die in what, within the context of sexual intercourse, would have been a, a tragic miscarriage. I'm sure that you would probably characterize this in some capacity as a miscarriage as well. But this is why they are generally um, fertilizing more than one egg, because they know that there is a um, fairly low proportion of successful implantations. Therefore, if the first implantation is unsuccessful, they want to try to implant another zygote and another zygote. And sometimes they'll just flood the uterus even with four or five zygotes in hopes that one or multiple will um, implant. 
And so hopefully that makes sense. That's kind of scientifically how the process works. But obviously from that, you, as I mentioned, get that added ethical dilemma of once you have a successful um, implantation or once that couple decides they no longer want to proceed with um, trying to implant those embryos, you have the remainder of those human beings who are left in somewhat of limbo where they are cryopreserved. This sounds like Star Trek stuff, but basically they're um, steeped in an aqueous solution that has some other chemicals that will optimize the likelihood of their survival in, in, in frozen liquid so that if one year later or 10 years later or 50 years later, theoretically they could be thawed and implanted. We'll get into more of those ethics in the the um, episode that we do just on IVF. But Peter, does that make sense? And do you want to share a little bit about the volume of, of where we're at on this um, procedure? Yeah, that does make sense. So it's hard to know exactly uh, how many frozen embryos there are. I know the Gospel Coalition projected that there are about 700,000 uh, embryos that are frozen right now uh, in the United States alone. And uh, from those, about ten to 11,000 are ready for embryo adoption. In the book I was reading, Cam, uh, which is called Cultural Engagement, a Crash Course on Contemporary Issues, um, one of the, one of the uh, contributors wrote an essay, and she cited CDC data that shows that in the year 2015, more than 91,000 IVF cycles were started, which led to more than 59,000 embryos transferred, resulting in 2,000, no, no, 26,700 positive pregnancies, but only 21,000 live births. Now, um, I did a bunch of, uh, of math, um, and, uh, and this is what I got to. So let's say the average amount of embryos created in a single IVF cycle is five. That's pretty conservative. That's pretty low. I think it's more like 10 and aiming even higher because the more embryos that are created, the more likely, um, the more chance there is that you'll get uh, a bunch of good embryos. And then after testing, you can choose sort of the supreme or the best embryo that is there uh, to implant in your uterus. But let's say five uh, as a conservative estimate. That means that with 91,000 IVF cycles, about 455,000 embryos were created in 2015 alone. Of those, 13% were transferred to the mother's uterus. 59,000 is 13%. 32,000 of those died because of failed implantation. 4,937 that were implanted died before they were born, which means that of the 455,000 embryos that were created, 95.2% of them died or remained frozen um, before, giving, before birth. So that's 430,000 on a very, very, very conservative estimate. So um, I mean, Ken, that just shows the enormity of what we're dealing with here. That's just one year, 2015. And um, I mean, that's, that's seven years from now. It doesn't feel like seven years uh, from now. Um, but that was seven years ago. And so that's sort of where we are, the enormity of the issue, the scale of what we're talking about here. But Cam, the point of this episode is to get into the apologetics. The point of this episode is so that um, you and I and uh, our listeners, everyone who's here, when we hear something like this on the streets or from our colleagues or whoever it is, we have a bit of a framework. We have a bit of an understanding on how to respond effectively and in a winsome way. So when you hear something like this, Cam, we often talk about creating or finding common ground, using analogies and asking questions. 
what sort of common ground do you find and how do you dive into using finding analogies and then asking those key questions? Yeah, so I'm going to throw a curveball at you because before I'm going to dive into the common ground, I'm going to ask a clarifying question that I think is going to stream us in one of two directions. Generally speaking, we don't want to try to defend ourselves and our character of like, no, 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 I totally have. If you have adopted embryos, that's beautiful. That's super cool. Um, and you can share that um, kind of witness at some point in the conversation. What I want to do initially is I want to clarify because the statement leads me to believe that they agree that those embryos are living humans who deserve protection and deserve families. But it doesn't guarantee that. And that question is going to dictate where I want to go in conversation. So I want to clarify of, you know, I, I think that's a great question. Are, are you saying that you too agree that these embryos are living humans who deserve human rights and protection? Because that's going to help me say where to go. If, if they say, no, totally, I, I do. And, and I'm confused as to why there aren't more people who are pursuing adoption. If that's where they're going, if they agree that they are living members of the human family who get human rights, then the common ground is, I agree that there's a ton of um, focus that needs to be put towards embryo adoption. My analogy is going to be, imagine that there was um, both, not, not even imagine, both you and I agree that there's a lot of born children who are waiting adoptive families and that we need more people aware of that. Bearing that in mind, can we agree that there are appropriate efforts to raise awareness about the killing of born children, if those born children are, are dying, that can happen at, at the very least in parallel with the education about getting more people adopting those children? Can we agree that both education and pastoral action can happen at the same, same time? And if so here, then why not elsewhere? If the person responds, and, and so that's the pivot towards, okay, how do we find solutions? Let's talk about the value of the educational arm of the pro-life movement. You already agree that these are humans who get human rights. We don't have to do the human rights argument. If they respond the opposite, though, if you ask that clarifying question that says, um, no, I just think that you guys are being hypocrites. I don't think they're human beings, which is why I'm not adopting them. If you thought they were human beings, you absolutely should be adopting them. Then I'm going to go a slightly different route. I'm still going to find common ground and like, yeah, I agree that people should be giving attention this way. However, imagine that there were a lot of born children who were waiting adoption. And there were also a lot of people who were killing those same children. Would it make sense for us to prioritize adopting those children if in the backs or even at the front of many people's minds, it was totally appropriate to kill those very same children? Why would we solve a problem through a legitimately much more convoluted um, solution if we could just kill them? Well, you can't kill them. Okay, and so if we can't kill born children, why can we kill preborn children? Diving into the human rights argument, into demonstrating the fact that these are living humans, and then explaining later on the fact that once we have conveyed the fact, and once society is embracing the fact that human life begins at fertilization, that these are indeed children who cannot be left suspended in time, who cannot be simply thrown in waste disposal um, units once their time has run out, then we start applying practices on now that you realized we can't kill these children, 
Let's talk about what we can do to protect them. That, that's that makes a lot of sense, Cam. Thank you so much for that. I'm looking forward to the episode that we're going to be doing um, where we talk more about reproductive technologies and sort of a more holistic view uh, of this based on Stephanie Gray Connor's book, which I forget the title of, but you have it uh, on your desk there. Conceived by Science, uh, Stephanie Gray Connors. Um, but for now, this is how we respond when we hear uh, an argument like this in the street. This is a bit of the background. This is how we um, start to understand a little bit from where they're coming from based on sort of our experience having conversations with people who bring this up. And we hope this helps you a lot out as well. Thank you so much for tuning in to yet another episode of the Pro-Life Guys podcast. We're extremely grateful for your continued support. If there are more arguments that you want to hear uh, responding, maybe you hear arguments from uh, people around you and you're like, okay, the guys haven't talked about this. I would love to get their perspective on how I should respond, or maybe this is how I'm responding, and maybe there's a better way to respond. I'd love to hear that. Um, I know Cam has, has most of the amazing ways to respond, and I uh, listen to him and, and take notes as we write as we uh, as we do these episodes. Um, so do reach out to us with those Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, searching the Pro Life Guys podcast, or you can reach out to us prolifeguys.com. That's it for me, other than um, uh, that option to get that merch, which uh, you can find in the link in our bio uh not the link in our bio uh the uh show notes right uh in the description of this episode cam you have one thing before we close so take it away sir wrap it up one last thing as many of you may have seen on our different social media platforms and the various ccbr social media platforms we are recruiting right now for our summer internships we would love to invite you to compel you, to challenge you, to be a part of our summer internships, whether that's our four-month program or our two-month program, whether anchored out of our Calgary office or our Toronto office. This is an opportunity for you to get world-class training, tons of experience, talk to people about abortion in a very controlled setting, and the mentorship you need to be a pro-life leader. This is not something you need to be a, an existing pro-life leader already to come into. This is something that we want to help you grow in your um, ambassadorship as a an everyday pro-life activist, but also in your leadership. And so please do consider joining us um, as part of our team for our internships. I was an intern in 2012. Peter, you were involved with the internship starting in 2015. Um, we have these incredible teams across the country. We're going to be traveling a lot. We're going to be meeting a ton of really, really cool people. And just for scope, you think about what you can accomplish within the span of a summer. Within the span of an internship, you will reach, if it's anything like previous summers, last year even during the COVID-restricted summer, the average intern reached just over 40,000 views of abortion victim photography, which translates statistically into tens of thousands of people who are feeling more negatively about abortion and saw 26% of the people they spoke to become fully pro-life within the span of a conversation. That's unreal. You will see dozens of people, if not maybe even hundreds of people, become more pro-life fully pro-life or get them thinking for the first time ever you'll be part of an amazing team and you will help us start pushing back the tides on abortion right this is something that has plagued our nation for over 50 years now and we desperately need passionate pro-lifers like you 
to make sacrifices, to make the commitment to serve preborn children in the deepest way possible. And so please apply to our internship. We'll have that in the show notes as well. And if you want to learn more about that, you can contact us, either Peter or I, or anyone part of the CCBR team through the CCBR social media hubs. Mm-hmm.